to the West, a Middle Earth SBG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and a special guest, Yong Duke. <laughs> What's up? Hello. <laughs> so today we have Yong Duke on the podcast, and、um, he is a well-known Moria aficionado.、Uh, <laughs> our featured profile today, to take advantage of that, will be the Watcher in the Water. And Yang will be going through、uh, some of his lists that he recently took to a tournament. All of these army lists are on our Facebook page, Into the West Podcast. So if you aren't following the Facebook page,、uh, just head over there, and you'll be able to see all the army lists in this episode and follow along. In our open topic, we'll be talking about trash tier profiles, trash tier warriors specifically, and how to use them competitively in a game. So, quick introduction and Yang Duke, you're you're all the way in Virginia, right? Yep. So let us know how you got into this hobby and what your local scene is like. Okay.、Um, so, miniature hobby. I think I started around third grade because my two older brothers loved the game. So, I played majority 40k in fantasy until about last year before Nova. I had a bad breakup, and、um, I think Robert Cron was the one who convinced me to、uh, play Lord of the Rings to get my mind off of it. And I'm gonna be honest, I thought the game was kind of boring because coming from 40k and fantasy, these are like smaller miniatures. I didn't understand the game, and after playing one game with Rob, I was hooked onto Lord of the Rings, and played like for a whole month straight until Nova. And then after that, I think officially it's been one year of playing、uh, Lord of the Rings now. So we all know that your favorite faction in the game is Moria. What got you into that faction, and what would you say you love the most about this faction? Yeah. So for Moria,、uh, my local scene, everyone told me after I、uh, quit Agmar that Moria can only be played、uh, with the Balrog, like forty some goblins. They can't be painted or converted. And so when I heard that, I took up the challenge of playing Moria with no Balrog, and to paint and convert them to my highest standard. And I think as of today, I have over 389 games of Moria, and I still have not played the Balrog because I refuse to. <laughs> so I played every other list I think without him. So you have no temptation with the new Balrog Legendary Legion.、Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I think the new Legion isn't bad, but it isn't great. For me, I think it solves some of the shooting problems with like the shadow effect with the five plus shoot value thing. But for me, the Balrog was already tanky, so it really doesn't add too much in my opinion to him because he's already D, my D nine or something like that. So he can tank most shots pretty well. And for me, the fact that the Legion restricts you on no dwellers, no marauders, no bat swarms, I think in my opinion, it kind of actually.、Uh, Hinders the army even more because you have no mobility now.、Um, you're just moving the Balrog plus thirty-five to forty goblins up the table. I think the rule for the breaking and the shattering is really cool. It does make the army technically tankier. But for me, I've told Charles this many times: the Balrog has no might and no reroll. So for me, that's a big no in my books of playstyle because you're relying on it. It's a dice game.、Uh, you could roll. A five or a four, and whoever you're fighting, if they roll that six or they have might, 
you're probably going to waste a comet or two. Um, so I think for the Balrog, it's just not my playstyle relying on the luck of the dice to get that six to win the fight. Uh, I think the Legion is still cool. I think if you have the Balrog, go for it because it does add a lot to the list. Um, just for me, the fact you lose Marauders, the Bat Swarm, and all of the special characters, for me, it feels like it's punishing too much and uh, uh, restricting too much uh, from the potential you can have in the army. Speaking of Moria heroes, what's your favorite hero from the Moria list, just seeing that there are so many? I would say my two... It's tied. I would say currently Ashrak and Durbers are tied for my favorite Moria characters in the in the army right now. Yeah. <laughs> Go into that a little bit. Let us know okay. why. So a lot of people, I guess they shit talk Durbers saying, oh, he's like a, a glorified captain. For me, Durbers has come clutch way too many times. Because I don't put a Balrog, we run into the issue of Standfast and Breaking. Um, the Iron Fist rule for the 12-inch Standfast, I think, is truly amazing on that little model. A lot of people don't realize he has that. And so I've played many opponents where they forget he has basically a 24-inch bubble of Standfast. They'll just tag other characters saying, oh, take your Courage test. I'll take it on Durbers, and my whole army is now on the table again. Um, not only that, for 70 points, he brings 3 Might, 2 Will, and 2 Fate at D6. It's not the greatest stat line, but in Moria, it's pretty tanky. And having Resolve and Defense are my favorite heroics. I know a lot of people, like this weekend at the event, when I mentioned Resolve, they even didn't know Durbers had access to it. For me, I love Resolve. I, I think every game at events, I've called it because... I always play at least one magic caster and having my shatter shamans and regular shaman have an extra point of will just to resist. I would take that any day over not having it. And I think uh, a few games, my cave trolls too, I'll call the resolve and my cave troll resisted a transfix, which was amazing. I'm like, it's awesome for one point of might. And uh, I think every opponent I've played forgot he had resolve. So they think I'm cheating when I say he has it, but I swear it's my favorite heroic in the game. I think that's the biggest selling point for me. 70 points for Resolve is a 100% win in my books. You should have joined us for our uh, previous episode where we talk about uh, <laughs> the special heroic actions. And we were there to dis- defend uh, Resolve, but we ranked it second last. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I don't think like any of us had seen it in a real game either. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but I actually do like diverts uh, with uh, heroic defense. That's yeah. that's like all our favorite heroic actions, pretty much. Because so. <laughs> with defense, it just makes that. Let's be honest. It makes this dinky little goblin so tanky for like three turns. If you had to burn all the might for it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think if you were to call resolve, diverts would be a, a model that you would do it with because you you don't mind losing the ability to move for a turn. Yeah. So like it's it's okay if if it's like a big hero, then yeah you you kind of waste a turn not fighting. But and then your other one was Ashrak. Yeah. So uh, Ashrak I like a lot, and I actually have a uh, difference of opinion now because I used to run Druzhag a lot more than Ashrak, but I would say recently my in the past month my train of thought shifted. So I think Druzhag is an amazing character. But the hardest thing for me to swallow is the fact he's 90 points. That, for Moria, is so many points. It's a cave troll, two goblins. It's a goblin captain and almost a full warband. And for me, Druzhag, he does bring that big courage bubble 
to the beast he brings. But with Enrage of the Beast with five points of will, let's be honest, if you play at a, a tournament scene or at a competitive event, you're going to see a Nazgul somewhere who has sap will. And the second he starts sapping Jews Hag's will, you drop to 90 points for basically a courage bubble for the beast and nothing more. And for me, that it's a big feel-bad moment when you face the opponent and you realize, oh my god, my little trick. So he's just here to sit back and give me courage. Ashrak I value because you could kill him and I wouldn't be sad because all of my spiders I brought to the game are always Venom-backed. Um, you gotta kill each spider. And I, I think the venom back upgrade for two points is the most cost-efficient upgrade in the game. They've been so many games where that re-rolling to wound has killed two models every combat. So if you bring six to seven venom backs, you have decent fights. You know for sure in those six to seven fights, you're killing a warrior model. And for me, for does reroll all failed wounds, not just yeah, yeah. Venom is for all reroll for wounds. So all spiders have the generic poisoned, which is just ones to reroll. But venom back is all failed to wound, and at strength five, you're probably gonna kill whatever warrior model you're in combat with. And um, I think Ashrak just brings a lot more to it, and especially his spell, Shroud of Shadows, you only have one might and four points of will. And for me, it's always like a once per game, I'll channel it, three or four dice it, and hope to god I get the four plus. And now the spider is a bat swarm who has the ring effect going through battle lines, touching what I want. Sounds pretty terrifying if you can uh, pull it off that one turn. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... I think we're all waiting for you to get into your army list. Um, before we do, just uh, want to give you this chance to shout out your YouTube channel and Instagram because uh, we, uh, I don't know, personally, I'm a big fan of how you paint your goblins and all these conversions. I think like all your goblin characters are either like completely sculpted or heavily modified. Oh, thanks, man. Um, so it's pretty simple. My uh, Instagram is drums in the deep. Um, with a few underscores between each word. If you follow Charles's Instagram, which you probably do, um, you can just find me through there. And then YouTube, if you just type in Moria Battle Report, I'm sure one of mine will pop up because there aren't many Moria Battle Reports on YouTube. So, <laughs> so yeah. You're a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> so next we'll move on to our feature profile for this episode, The Watcher in the Water. So today we're going to be talking about the Watcher in the Water from the Moya list. I'll just quickly go through the profile. It's a pretty unusual profile, uh, and it's not one that we see a lot. Um, so he's 200 points base. He's a monster infantry, Kraken. He's an independent hero. So he's a movement of four, fight six with a, with a three plus shoot, strength six, defense six, six attacks, six wounds, and courage three. One might, five will, one fate. And the one heroic action he has is heroic strength. He has eight special rules. Harbinger of evil, resistant to magic, terror. He has two passives, 
The first one being many tentacles. When the Watcher is reduced to three wounds or less, his attacks are also reduced to three. And the Watcher is not slowed when entering the water feature. Makes sense. And uh, his movement value is doubled when he's in water. And he counts as having rolled a six on the swim chart. He also gains the Monstrous Charge special rule while charging in, in a water feature. He has two active special rules. First one is called From the Deep. And it's when you deploy an army, you do not deploy the Watcher. Instead, um, you roll in the subsequent turns when you want uh, the Watcher to come in. On a 3+, plus, he's ready to enter. And you can deploy him anywhere on the battlefield. And when he is placed on the board, models are displaced one inch from him if, if his base is touching other models. His second special rule is tentacles, which is in the shoot phase, he can make D6 shooting attacks. And they are at a range of six and strength of three. It doesn't require any in the way rolls. And if a model is hit but not slain, they are dragged to the watcher's base by the shortest route possible. And the final rule is Drag to the Depths, which is a special brutal power attack that the Watcher in the Water has. He can select a single man size or smaller model in the same fight. On a 3+, the model suffers a wound, and if that wound is not saved, they're dragged to the Depths and count as slain. And then the Watcher is removed from play, and uh, he is redeployed the following turn through the From the Deep special rule. So I think the first question to start is, we don't really see this profile why do you think that is? So the Watcher, I could say confidently, I've played 67 or 66 games with the Watcher now. And my biggest takeaway has been he's a gamble piece. You could say that most big heroes like Aragorn, Bold, they're all gamble pieces because of the point cost. But I think the Watcher literally is a gamble piece. As you mentioned, his special role there's no, I don't think there's any other model in the game that doesn't deploy, and he has to roll a D6 to come in. He needs a 3+, plus, and there have been two games where for seven turns, I never rolled the 3+, plus, and he's still waiting in reserves, and that's not mitable, because it's a random dice roll. And so he's 200 points, and as a Moria player, 200 points is a substantial amount of points for goblins, because we rely on body count and hitting power. So if that Watcher doesn't come in for six to seven turns, realistically, your army could be close to the breaking point because hypothetically, you're playing 800 points with a 600-point army until the Watcher comes in. So I think a lot of people don't like that gamble. They'd rather have the whole army together on the table, ready to go with good positioning. And I would say you don't see the Watcher because many beginners... If you're told the Balrog is amazing, you see a stat line, that's a win in your eyes. You look at the Watcher, and a lot of people don't have experience with it, they're not going to encourage taking the Watcher. You know, you have some people who never heard of the Watcher stat line before. And so I think it's daunting, I think, is the biggest thing for most people when they see the stat line. Because he requires, I think, more decision-making than most models in the game. Because, in a way, wherever he goes on the table, he's almost committed there realistically he only moves four inches and unless you call a march every turn he will pretty much stay committed to whatever table quarter you put him in so with that being said do you like always roll that three up as soon as you can or do you usually hold back until the battle lines get closer yeah so i would say for the first 10 games when i was still trying to get use of the watcher i would wait till battle lines were about to touch 
and roll it, thinking I roll it. It's a three plus. Back then, I would think, oh, it's it's a space green armor slave. I can do it. And too many games that didn't happen. So most of my local YouTube group, uh, the guys I play with, they know I usually call the watcher turn two, because even though I know he won't be on a good position, I'd rather he come behind my army, and we walk up together. Than me calling him way too late, losing my my army, and then when he comes in, the game's pretty much over. So I think I encourage people to call the watcher earlier in the game than later, because you never know what's going to happen in those two to three turns he's not in. If you roll pretty bad, your army could literally be swarmed by your opponent's army. So, I'm guessing the most powerful part of this profile is the tentacles, the ability to just grab models to the watcher without having in the way rolls. Yeah, so I hardly ever charge the watcher. So people also mistaken the tentacles, they're considered a bow, essentially. So if you want it to move and then shoot, you only move two inches and then you shoot the six. So you have an eight inch threat range. But realistically, with a three plus shoot value, I never move the watcher unless there's a hero, like a captain model, who's in the back line and I can, I can touch in two inches. The tentacles are the MVP of the watcher. As you said, there's no in the way worlds. So my tactic is usually this. I briefly touched on it earlier, but um, when battle lines collide, most goblins cannot tank Hunter orcs, elves, any any good army troops will outclass you every day. So what I like to do is have the watcher snag the first warrior touching my battle line. So the spear supports just exposed, and the watcher will just crunch those shields. So it makes the goblins have a better chance at winning those fights and saving the bodies. You said that the tentacles is uh, a bow. It doesn't doesn't say that in the rules. So I just assumed yeah, so that you would be able what, to move full. What happened was I guess it comes to now like consensus. Because it doesn't say throwing weapon, everyone just says by default it must be a regular shooting attack. Uh, it only made sense for when I play it, consider it a regular shooting attack, which would be typically a bow. He's hardly played, so there aren't many epic hues clarifying the stat line. Yeah, that's true. By default, shooting attacks are only allowed to move half. Yeah. So I guess you just assume that you, you can only move two inches if you want to shoot. The first sentence in the uh, special rule says, in the shoot phase, if it was a throwing weapon, it would be available in the move phase. Oh, so I guess by that wording, it is a regular shooting attack. Because you can use a throwing weapon in the shoot phase, phase. but you can also use it in the move phase, and it doesn't specify that, which makes me think that it must be a regular shooting weapon, a shooting attack, just because of the wording. It doesn't allow it during the charge. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it, it's pretty clear that it's not a throwing weapon. But mm-hmm. And then uh, I was discussing this with Richard earlier about the part where it says there's no in the ways. How do you play the Watcher when you shoot at like a mounted hero? Because when yeah. you randomize rider and mount, that's not really an in the way role, right? So the way I guess our locals, when we first opened the profile and read it, the Watcher does say it takes no in the way roles. And I think in the cavalry, it says you choose the horse or rider as if it was a in-the-way role. So they determined that is a specialized in-the-way role because they put as if in-the-way role. So we can only assume that is a very special and unique in-the-way role. And hence the watcher will trump it by just ignoring any in-the-way roles. Okay. Do they keep their horse then? 
So when you shoot the uh, cav model, you choose horse or rider, and I will choose the. I will usually go for the horse. I want unmounted, and if you don't kill the horse, it's just dragging to the combat. Um, so you are fighting a cav model now, and um, if you let's say roll the four for shots, I would grab the three remaining shots and continuously shoot the guy till the horse dies, just because I don't like him being on cav. There have been instances where if a cav model charges my goblin line with a lance and I whip that cab, and I didn't kill the horse, because he was charging, he still gets the lance bonus, though. So that's why I always prioritize killing the mount in case they have a bonus when they're charging with the mount. So, yeah, okay, so if, he, if you shoot at the horse, and you fail to kill the horse, you drag the whole model into combat. The whole model still. comes with you still. He doesn't just, like, pop off his butt. The whole that's, model comes with you. Oh, God, this is so weird. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's very strange. I guess I'll cut a bit... I'll say one thing. This weekend, I whipped the Witch King Fell Beast into combat with me. Uh, it was very funny. It was dumb, <laughs> but I wanted to do it. So, but, so. Um, yeah. so it says that if you drag, it doesn't count as the model having charged, so they wouldn't have the Oh, so the if the model bonus, right? had charged before I shot him, let's say he had priority first. If he mm -hmm. charged for Lance, he's not charged. Like, I'm not whipping him randomly. So since he already declared a charge, he still effectively has the charge bonus of what my group has concluded. Um, now, if that, he was that's random, a really weird way to interpret it. So, yeah, like, I let's, don't... Say, let's, let's say the horse had a lance in the middle of the board and he did nothing. If I whipped him, he didn't charge me, hence no bonus. No, no, no. I, I see where yeah. you're coming from. This okay. is that, that such a weird situation. I yeah. don't know. Like, it's almost like the TO has to like rule all these things when it comes, to the, when it comes to the watcher. I made sure I read the, the, the passages like eight times because every opponent I play against who doesn't know me. They always ask him, like, can you explain it? And I'll take at least five minutes giving all the examples <laughs> and explain it. This is what happens. No confusion. Please ask away. Because, again, there's no FAQ, so it's very... I think some people abuse the misinterpretations, but it's a fun stat line, so... Yeah, so you know the part where you roll a D6 and you can just, like, shoot at horses with no in yep. the ways? Yes. So in a previous episode, we were all freaking out about Gandalf's cart shooting fireworks with no in the way. And then we were like, this is the new meta. Well, think again. This, this is a <laughs> hundred times Better. stronger than Gandalf's cart fireworks. I stand by what I said, Gandalf cart OP. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the... I basically played my first game against the Watcher. I was testing, uh, doing a play test with Richard, and then, yeah, it kind of gave me nightmares a little bit. Um, <laughs> try to think about like how you can actually counter this Watcher if you're just like going battle line against battle line, assuming this um, the scenario goes that way. And like I know that the tentacles being D six shots, it could be a little bit inconsistent. So like some turns you might only shoot like one or two, but like. It still seems like you, you're dragging more than one model per turn. For the Watcher, when it comes to the dragging stuff, even if you roll, let's say, for two turns but way below average as a one, your opponent still has to keep in mind what if next turn you roll that six. So like a psychological effect, I think, more than anything. Yeah, and I just want to talk a little bit about the stat line. So using the Watcher for the first time, just having the six attacks and six strength, it's just such a true killer. So we know that the Watcher doesn't have heroic strike, so it can be a little bit dangerous around big heroes that can strike up. But once you start dragging these like troops and stuff in, you just start munching them. 
I watched one of your battle reports actually where you played Iron Hills and oh. and like the doors are legendary with their D8 armor, but you were just dragging a bunch of them and then you were just munching them down six dwarves a turn kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's very underrated. I think in the way you've described how you like play the army, you obviously are really big on playing that kind of battle of attrition style that I think is so critical for Moria. The way you described how you don't like to play the Balrog, mm-hmm. the reasons why, the way you like to use the spiders. I think this profile really fits in well. It obviously doesn't get a lot of attention. And in some ways, I think that might actually work out really well for you. Even though I've read the profile probably a good few times, I'd read it last edition. don't think it's really changed a ton. You don't really think about it until you realize that you're playing against an army that's going to have dozens of goblins as well as the Watcher. You don't toss the Watcher into direct combat and then just start dragging things out of position against an army that is probably going to try and trap you into victory. Being able to have so many models to trap supports, trap flanks, trap heroes, being able to drag those things out of position, it's just critical. This is amazing. I read this rule and I'm like, this is just, this is just, and then I vomit a little bit in my mouth. (laughs) Wow. I can say from firsthand experience that it's very scary the fact that he can still shoot his tentacles even while he's charged. So it's like, oh, what, what do I do against this? Charging a, a hero into the Watcher isn't going to stop him from still dragging models that turn. The only thing I could think of was to take Blinding Light and then maybe have the caster stand like just out of six inches. So the bubble extends to your battle line, but the Watcher can't drag him. But it requires just the right composition and also the right setup. I don't know if, I don't know if there's any other like big things that you can do to stop the tentacles from just wrecking your battle line. I mean, even then, I'd consider that a victory for the Moria player just because to get Blinding Light, you've usually got to spend somewhere in the range of at least 100 points. That's 100 points that's solely for the purpose of stopping one of the Watcher's special rules. One. It's, that's a really solid trade-off for the Moria player, I think, just because then that's more points spent on fewer models, giving you an even greater numbers advantage in close combat. So So weird that he just, like, can pull any size model, too. And uh, there's one thing people should know, people forget about this. When it comes to chariots, I've had games where the Watcher shoots all the crew off, thus the chariot is gone. So you're just fighting four dudes off a chariot, because you ignore the in the way. So for Iron Hill Chariot, if you see the captain up there, you whip him off. I've had a game where I shot the Mumic War Chieftain off the Mumic, because he's exactly six inches above. So I whipped him off the Mumic with the Watcher. Oh, you don't drag the whole model? You only drag, you drag well, the no, crew the off? The whole model is in. So once you whip the War Chieftain, the whole thing's in. But then you just throw a single goblin onto the Mumic. Mumic's firing the goblin. You're firing the Chieftain. You just kill the Chieftain then. That's cruel. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, does he run away much? Because he has only Courage 3. I mean, he's he's so, got the, the 5 will. So I guess that kind of depends will, on the yeah. after. Usually my armies would be about 50 bodies with the Watcher. So it's, it's on the low side for Moria, but it's a decent amount. More than not, I don't fail the Courage on the Watcher. I think in all my 67 games, he's died eight times, and the rest, he, he's alive. Um, he's never fled yet. I think with five points of will, the chance of you failing it are kind of astronomical. I think the Watcher shines the most against good armies and good factions more than evil. 
because Good has such a, I'd say, medium body count, and usually, like you said, if he's munching the battle lines, if you're broken with the Watcher, the Watcher did not do his job. But more than not, I've killed half their battle line. I've lost five goblins in return, and they're about to break, and I'm still 20 bodies away from breaking. Just because a Watcher is munching so many of their, uh, their battle line guys. Yeah, and just having the ability to grab the banner as well would mm-hmm. hurt the good side uh, I've armies had, yeah. a lot more. There are many games, unless you're a banner yourself, my opponents will literally hide their warhorn or their banner away from the battle. So, okay, like, sure, I'm not killing your banner, but he's not helping the battle at all while I have my drum getting the whole table. So it's a win-win for me, too. So I'm just laughing as they're hiding the banner in the back. So, so moving on to our ratings for this profile. So we do a 0 to 10 rating. So 0 is a profile that's just uh, completely useless competitively, and 10 is one that you would take in every single army you, you'd bring. Young, what would you say your rating would be for the Watcher in the water? Honestly, I would say a 6.5 because it truly depends on your playstyle. Now, for, for me personally, I'd say a, an 8, but for the average Joe, I think a 6.5, just depending on your playstyle. I think I'm also going to give this an 8 just because it's, it's such a strong profile. It brings so much to the table. You know, it, it really uh, destabilizes your opponent's battle line. Really has to make your opponent second guess what they're doing. You know, double and triple measuring everything against an army that can only move a handful of inches itself. I think it does a lot. But like you have said, the various play styles of Moria and the obvious advantage to the army of being able to field dozens and dozens of goblins. Now, obviously, it, it takes a lot away from that. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think of all of the monsters that the list has access to, bar the Balrog, it's just, it's definitely the most versatile. I think it has the most upside. I think it's a great profile to add in. But I really think if you want to, if you want to uh, max out goblins, you don't want it. But yeah. for what it's worth, it, it, it really is a very strong profile. Just going by my experience with it and just thinking about it for days about how to beat this thing and just the potential. I don't want to give it a perfect score because the one might and the movement four kind of kind of limits it. But I think I'm gonna go nine here. Just just so many things that it can do in in the game, especially against a, a player that doesn't have experience fighting it. It's just it, it can do so much to them. And if you don't know its rules well, especially. It's very hard to stop the tentacles. Yeah, so having just only one game under my belt, not quite the <laughs> six, 66 games that you have, Young, but honestly, it made me fall in love with it. And now, <laughs> as you know, I'm starting to paint a Moria army because of this. It was just so much fun, and I never really looked at this profile before, but he's just such a beast. So I have to give him a high mark, but I also can't give him a perfect mark because. As most of these guys know, I like my filthy alliances. <laughs> and as an independent hero, this guy will be really tough to ally in. So I might be forced to play a pure army, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> so I think, um, I think I would have to give this probably an 8 out of 10. I'm so proud of you, Richard. <laughs> so I'm torn between an 8 and a 9. So I'm going to go 8.5. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I think there is a really high learning curve on this guy, like you said. But then once you figure him out, you can get a lot of return on that. And For sure. Honestly, if you just, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you watch some of your videos, you know, you get a few games in and you don't give up on them. I think you, there's just so much shenanigans you can do with this. And I really wouldn't be surprised if everybody was crying OP after a little well, while. So I should mention one <laughs> note I forgot to say. I believe the Watcher is one of the only monsters in the game who at full wounds can rend with six attacks at strength six. So it's pretty nasty if you can just pop a, a major character if he loses the fight. Six dice meaning threes, I think most guys will just die outright to that. That's a, that's a really good call. I didn't even think about, <laughs> about that. When I was thinking brutal power attacks, I was thinking more the you can drag a normal troop with your tentacle and then heroic strength and then just throw him out <laughs> as far as you can and knock some like... Like a catapult. You know, yeah, <laughs> throw him out, <laughs> knock, knock Boromir off his horse or whatever. Yeah, But yeah, some cool tricks for sure. He also has crazy amount of potential in a water feature. Because oh, if he yeah. wins a fight in charge, that's 14 strength 6 attacks. That's, <laughs> that's disgusting. It's disgusting. And you can use Dragon to the depths. Yong, have you ever used that brutal power attack? One time only. So, hypothetically, I, I think I, I must have cheated. But uh, in Seize the Prize, I killed the guy who had the prize in a water feature. And I declared the power attack on the warrior, and I disappeared off the table. And I had the objective, but I never came back on the table. So <laughs> I indefinitely had it, but he just wasn't on the table because a model uh, had it in his possession. Is that cheating, though? Uh, <laughs> Position unclear. If you eat the guy, you have the prize, right? But then, like, what part of the table did you take it off on? Does it count as being on that side? So that's that the part? thing. Like, like, I think when I played it, I just gave it, like, I had the objective, but I'm not, on, I'm not getting the max points. I just get the bare minimum because technically I, I have it. I'm just yeah. swimming away. That, that makes the most sense to me. That's not, like, horribly game-breaking, but it's <laughs> not very nice. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that you're off the table, so you get the maximum amount of points. <laughs> okay. Of course, Richard. <laughs> Bad Richard. Bad. Bad. <laughs> Shame. We'll talk about this oh, later, Richard. God. Richard, you're going to break this model. They have so many FAQs after you play it. I'm going to be so sad when they destroy my favorite model in the game because of you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want any of our guests having to say that their life was ruined because they appeared <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, that's our only goal. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, next we're going to go over some watcher lists just to see um, you know what kind of army that you would usually build around this profile. So Yang, you recently went to a escalation tournament, right? Was it it was four games? Yeah, four games. <clears throat> and yeah, and obviously you had to have the watcher in your in all four lists just because he's 200 points. Yeah. So why don't you go over starting with the first list and then just go over the list itself and then what kind of opponent you faced and um, how the game went and just your kind of your strategy behind your first yeah. list. So I guess a quick caveat, these lists are very different from a usual watcher list because as we mentioned, it's escalation. You can't take a static list, which I'm more geared towards. So this escalation, I think each, each list had a specific opponent or a faction in mind. But definitely, I would say this escalation wasn't all comers because I couldn't fit the things I wanted. 
just due to the point restrictions for each game. So for the first list, as you mentioned, Charles, it was very restrictive. 450 points, half your army is the Watcher. And so my thought process was, at 450, I hope I don't run into a terror-causing army. And if that isn't the case, it'll be pretty good. So I focused on body count. I took Durbers with a full Warband of Goblins, two Prowlers, two Black Shields, three Moria Goblins of Spears, and eight Goblins of Shields uh, was the first Warband. A uh, second Warband was a Moria Captain with a Shield, two Prowlers, three Moria Goblins of Spears, and five Goblins with Shields. It was 449 points, 28 bodies. So at 450, it's decently sized. Um, you have the body count, you have the might, and you have the Watcher, of course. And as I mentioned, this list, I think, would be optimal against most regular armies. And the first person I played against was Haman, who brought a Legion of the Dead or the Ghost Army, which was the army I did not want to play against because I had no fury. So the only person I didn't want to play against, I had to play him game one. So it was a big oof moment. So the game went as expected. His ghosts were marching up, but Heyman was a bit shocked. As I mentioned, I like to call the Watcher usually turn one. I rolled the three. He came right behind my goblins. And the whole game, I simply made a wall of goblins surrounding the Watcher, begging him to come forward. I didn't need to move. Um, it was to the death. So it's, it's, you know, kill each other. So I am in a good position. I just castled up with the Watcher sitting behind 28 bodies. And Heyman played a really tight game. He had a few charges in the beginning, and the Watcher immediately started whipping bodies behind. Now the issue again is because he has Legion of the Dead with, with the Ghost Boys, the Goblins are Courage 1. Uh, we can't really charge and do our tr uh, usual trapping and forming the wall. So I had to play really passive, more passive than I like to, simply because I just couldn't make the charge against his, um, his ghost boys. And it, it was a good game until I lost way too many goblins. Uh, Heyman decided to save all the might on Aragorn. In case the Watcher whipped him, he called the strike, win the fight, and start wooing the Watcher. I believe he killed 15 of my goblins, which broke me. And at that point, I believe I only had killed four ghost warriors with the Watcher. I was rolling a bit below average. But then in one whole turn, he killed six more warriors and the King of the Dead. So the Watcher is a swinging model. He does do the work. But in that game, I'd say the, the cards were against me with the terror bubble. I couldn't get the charges I needed. I couldn't shatter him in time. So it was an 8-3. I had the three points for losing. If the Watcher had killed a warrior extra, we would have potentially tied the game. But that game, I could say the Watcher outperformed himself. He killed 10 Warriors of the Dead plus the King of the Dead. And no other model in the army killed anything because, again, we can't charge them. They're defense 8, and these goblins are strength 3. So yeah, that game, the Watcher definitely made his points back by himself. Just have one question. Why did you not put in the Moria Shaman in your first game? Yeah. Is it because you didn't expect Terror to be an issue at low points? So at the 450, I probably made three different lists. And I think I decided on this specific list because I wanted a higher body count um, just in case we took casualties. I could still be in the game. The Watcher could start bringing it back up. I did have the Fury Shaman initially, 
But I think naively, I assumed, you know, I wouldn't run into Terracazer at 450. And if I did, it'd be like one or two models. I think definitely if you're going to do this again, expect the worst. Take the Fury Shaman and uh, drop the Captain. He really didn't do much with the Might. So yeah, the Fury Shaman definitely would have helped. I would have lost a few bodies, but that would have been an amazing trade-off just for getting charges I needed. Okay, so I think you've gone over earlier that the Watcher does the best when behind like a wall of goblins, and this one is obviously the lowest point army, and you don't have those numbers to make him effective. Like He was your MVP, but if you had like 10-15 more goblins, he probably could have done even more, right? He probably could have won you the game. So to give this one a rating on the heroic tier scale, I think this this list is probably a hero of like a mid-hero fortitude. It has potential because if you were playing a list at 450 that didn't have anything that could deal with the Watcher, then I think you could still win. Or if it was a list without terror, yeah, certainly has weaknesses just because of your numbers. I think it's also probably a fortitude for me just because, yeah, like you said, the numbers aren't, they're not fantastic for what you need them to do, right? So, like, it's enough, but then as soon as you take a few casualties from Bowfire or a bad turn of combat, then the Watcher might get opened up to mm-hmm. being locked and killed. So, I still do like the concept a lot, though. So, I actually do like this list, and I agree with your choice about going with the Captain instead of the Shaman, because Shaman, you, you'd only be leading six Warriors. And to be honest, at 450 points, you're not going to come up a lot against pure terror troops. I think it's just the army of the dead. So you got the short end of the stick there. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, I think statistically, it's probably the better choice to go with the captain to get the march because you probably more chance of going up against like a shooty army. So you want to like close the distance. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, of course, I mean, this is going to be a common theme, the Black Shields. Um, we're going to talk more about this later. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> we, have, for sure. we have an intervention with you. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, I, I actually quite like this list at 450. I mean, 28 isn't too bad. And I mean, like we just said, you have Watcher in the water. So that's like the point of Elendil. So, of course, you're going to not be able to hoard out. So I'll give this a Valor. I think the one thing that we haven't yet mentioned is just critiquing this list in the context that it was created in. This is for an escalation tournament, so obviously the watcher is going to be in your first list. It's low points, so you're automatically, as a Moria player, I think a bit of a disadvantage in the first round. You had to take a few risks, one risk being that your numbers were not going to be very high just because you had to put the watcher into the first list. So you obviously had to take the captain, because everyone else has pointed out, the odds of bumping into a pure terror-causing list in that first round isn't very high. Unfortunately for you, odds don't seem to have mattered very much. For sure. I agree with the decision to choose the captain over the shaman, because you really did need those extra six troops in the list in order to have a shot in the first round. So I can't even really fault you for that. If we were just putting together a 450-point Moria list for the sake of putting one together, I think I'd be more critical of the number count. But given the scenario that it's in, uh, I like it quite a bit. Having the Watcher in there at 450 points, as has been mentioned, you're probably not going to come up against anything that can really stop it unless you end up facing a Lendial or, you know, LSR, pure terror-causing list. Mm-hmm. 
But aside from that, I really like it. I think it's a strong fortitude, maybe a, a low hero of valor. So, Young, I have a question. Were you able to, maybe on the last turn, be able to shoot your tentacles at Aragorn to try to get some VPs? Because the strength three versus a defense five leader would be a pretty prime target. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before I go into that, I should mention in this whole event, the dice gods were not kind to me, where I rolled way below average. I believe in this game, Haman can confirm, I believe I rolled 10 ones in a row at one point, like consecutive dice. So besides that, the last turn, in fact, I had, I think he had four more warriors on the table of the dead and Aragorn. So one more, I would have shattered him. I was way broken by then, almost shattered myself. My goblins, thankfully, I rolled above average. We stand on the table. Aragorn was trapped with a prowler and three goblins were on him right next to the watcher's base because he had charged the watcher and I surrounded him and a ghost of the warrior had touched the watcher. So that turn, I'm already in base contact. I did declare a shoot Aragorn. I rolled a one and into a one. So nothing happened. And into the combat, if I had killed the warrior of the dead, I would have made it a five to eight because he had killed Derbers by then. I guess the whole moral of my event was go big or go home. I decided to barge the little warrior away from me, and I'm pretty much in base to base. I'm touching Aragorn again, and he had no more might. So we're the same fight value. I'm feeling pretty confident. I have four goblin dice, six dice from the Watcher, and a minus one from the Prowler. I believe I rolled a high of a four with all the dice, and he rolled a five. And I was like, wow, odds. This is amazing. <laughs> Hence, we didn't even roll to wound. That was game. And I was like, oh, okay. It's the dice, so... I thought at least it would be losing to the Elven Blade, but uh, that's I would have liked that. I would have liked that more, but it, it was still... It was a big, ballsy move. I thought it was going to pay off, but... but it didn't, so. I actually felt the end of that story. Like, I felt it in my bones. Like, <laughs> if you know anything about my rolling in some of our events here, you know that that is my life. Oh, no, dude, I'm so that, sorry. That is my life story, is that kind of rolling in critical moments. That's painful, because the odds of that happening is just so low. You have, like, ten dice. You really should yeah. roll at least one six. Never mind yeah. nothing higher than a four. We have one player at a whole bunch of our tournaments, and as he says, when he's rolling really well, it's a game of skill. Thanks, Pat. That's a reference to you. Uh, Evens out, baby. <laughs> yeah. What made it worse was the Watcher didn't roll the four. It was the Spear Support Goblin who rolled the four. So that was the worst feeling of my life. Like, wow. So... <laughs> Why don't you move on to game two and let us know what you added in with your extra points in the second game and also like, yeah. the scenario. So I believe the scenario was retrieval and the list was what I mentioned before, but we could switch the warbands around. So I know Richard might give me shit. I added an additional black shield to Dur versus warband. I added a bat sword, a warg marauder to his warband as well. And into the captain's warband, again, Richard's going to give me more shit. I added another black shield, a few more goblins. And this is where I think my mentality of go big or go home and gambling really was my mentality. Instead of the fury shaman, I took a black shield shaman and took six more goblins. So the body count went from 28 to 37. And uh, the reasoning behind the black shield shaman was... Again, what are the odds of running into a Terracazer? I want to be able to shatter any banners or any weapons off of big heroes because in my past games of the Watcher, having the Shatter Shamans blow up any power heroes' weapons and they're unarmed 
the Watcher can now comfortably fight the Mook and start slapping his face. He's a minus one to fight, minus one to wound. The Watcher can tank it and start smacking him. So I think it was very greedy. And again, what are the odds? I have played my friend Mike and my old Agmar army. So another Terracaza army. Yay! So again, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Again, what are the odds? Oh, oh man. Yeah. And it was seized the prize. You know, it was my old Nova army, so I knew how it played. He took Birder, a Shade, a Barrow White, a lot of Orcs, Orc Captain, three Dead Marsh Spectres, a couple handful of uh, Wild Wargs. So I knew the potential of the army. But when we set up, I kind of knew I, I'm in a, kind of a big trouble now because he has the shade. He has the parallel. He had two bear whites, my apologies. And I'm thinking, what can I do with my little dinky army? We can't charge these guys again. We're going to have to decide what to do. And the mission was retrieval, the new mission with the two objectives. And this is where Mike got real. It was a joke, but he was real upset. I declared the Watcher to come in turn one. He didn't come in, but turn two, he came in right on his artifact. And I picked it up immediately. And I knew this game, I couldn't tank Agmar. So I tried breaking myself as fast as possible while my Watcher moved four inches the whole game to my deployment zone. Now Mike saw that. He sent Birder, a Barrow White, like two Wild Wargs chasing after my Watcher in the water. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen, like a, a, a squid moving four inches every turn, trying his best not to fight a troll, a bear white. And the bear white threw three dice, and he got a four high. And I'm thinking, okay, the Watcher has one free dice to resist. I'm going to throw three of my will onto it. I rolled a, a high of a three, so I had to burn my only might not to be paralyzed. So again, the dice are not in my favor. It looks pretty bad. Ignore the main battle lines. Nothing impressive happened. This top field was where all the action was happening. A birder passes his courage with a minus one off of Harbinger, charges the Watcher. The damn Warg also passed his courage on charge of the Watcher and the Barrow White. So I'm thinking, okay, we got a lot of dudes hitting me. Of course, Birder struck up. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can make him burn a might. He immediately rolls a six. Okay, great. I lost the fight. I back up. Thank goodness he whipped to wound. I took only two wounds on the Watcher. And I think I faded one of them. So I spent the whole game trying to get away from Birder and this Barrow White and this Warg with the artifact. And thank goodness I had a bat swarm the whole game flying around the edge of the table to join my Watcher to help the situation up top. And thankfully, Mike on his last two will failed to paralyze the Watcher. So my Watcher is still functioning. The Birder charged again, Barrow White charged again, and the Warg charged again. We tanked another turn of combat. I think we lost one more wound, so we're looking pretty good still. Filing the Bat Swarm spent like two to three turns making his way up. He passed the Courage 8 and charged Birder, tying him down. Then the Watcher charged this dinky Barrow White. I won the fight, and I barged. I just barged him, and I went six inches. That was the whole game. Every time he charged me, I'd win it and barge away. So I think this game was more of a joke. My Watcher wasn't killing. He was running away with the prize, barging guys to get to my side of the table because with movement four, it probably would take hundreds of turns to get to my side comfortably. So besides that action, looking to the main battle lines, my goblins tanked Agmore because orcs, you know, this D5, they're not the best. And I rolled unusually high for my dual rolls where even with the minus one, I was actually winning most of the fights. I just couldn't wound the orcs. So he never got to my prize. He did eventually break me. I was two away from breaking Agmar, and the score was five to three. 
simply because the watcher got onto my side of the table with the artifact. That's the only reason why I won the game. And I gotta say, a lot of people were laughing watching the game. It looked real dumb, to be honest. 200 point model, not doing anything but running to the other side of the table. So. Oh man, I, I love this tactic. This is like my kind of game. <laughs> Just hearing Richard. about it makes me smile. No, Richard, <laughs> it's not fun, dude. It's real dumb, man. You feel like you're down 200 points the whole game, man. I promise you. It sounds like a game of American football. You're just like <laughs> trying to run away with the with the ball. Yeah, man. I mean, I was very lucky. So I couldn't roll to wound. They were so below average. But the dice cards came back in for my barges. I was rolling sixes and fives for each barge. So my guy was like a torpedo shooting across the table onto my side. It was amazing. That's funny because he's probably the only monster where he can move more from barge than his normal movement. Yes, it's amazing. Because <laughs> so, he can barge these six inches and his normal move's only four. Honestly, I, I see a lot of value in barge with the Watcher after that game. I'd say there's no game I've ever barged until that game where I barged probably every single turn I could. Wait, does, if you're in water and you barge, can you technically go 12? I mean, it's if double? it's fixed and it's doubled, yeah. So. Oh, that's sick. <laughs> Richard's like, I want to play this now. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, the second game, I did, again, what of the luck, a Terracauser. And I'm thinking, man, like, I watched all the opponents in the game. There were Iron Hill players. I played many Dwarf players. There was Rohan. There was Gondor. And I was just praying I'd play one of them. But luck had it, no. Just evil and Terracausers. I was like, this is, this is a good challenge, though. At our local games workshop, there's a Lake Town board. And people usually, you know, some people complain, like, they don't want to play on water. But now I think... Um, you have to play on water. <laughs> yeah, now we're going we're gonna to be using that board way more. <laughs> and I'd say, Richard, if you do the Watcher at 800 points, I recommend you always take two Shatter Shamans. Just your opponents will hate you when they have no banner, their two super characters are unarmed, and you're facing the Watcher. It's the funniest thing ever. They'll just complain and complain while you're just whipping them constantly into combat, smacking them over and over again. Yeah, the, the Blast Shield Shaman is an interesting pick. Only recently kind of seen it being used, but I think it's pretty good. Do you ever use Tremor at all? I have used it many times, probably. More than Shatter. So oh, really? <laughs> I've had a game against my friend Javier's Dunlandings where I got a good Tremor off, and I killed five Huskarls and knocking one down, too. So I see a lot of potential in Tremor. I think a lot of people overlook it. I always position myself where I can Tremor the back spear supports. So now, okay, like, I probably would have killed three on average if I rolled decent. And now they can't assist in the fight. They're knocked prone. I'm just dealing with the shielding guys. Pretty good. So I think Tremor is often ignored for Shatter. But there are armies where shattering them doesn't mean crap. They don't care if they're unarmed. But Tremor, you can knock people off their horses too. So there's a lot of value in it, I think. Okay. So just to go with the review of this list, I do like... The new inclusions with like uh, the Bat Swarm, Marauders, it gives you a lot more mobility in this one compared to the 500 points. With the Black Shield Shaman inclusion, I personally am probably more conservative and less YOLO, so I would probably go with the Fury Shaman. But I I understand why you kind of went that route. I think it's still pretty well-rounded for me, and I'll probably stick with the Valor as well. I'm going to also say Valor for this one. Like you said, your first list, the main weakness was lack of mobility. You have that now. And yeah, I'm not sold on the Black Shields yet, but maybe you'll convince (laughs) us later. I'll try Uh, my best. (laughs) But you got a lot more tools in this one. And I think the number is closer to the above average mark that you would want with a Moya army. So Valor, I see potential of uh, winning tournaments with this list. 
I'd also say Valor, uh, just because of the Shaman choice. I, I don't think you really need the Shatter as much, just because you can still just pull banners and stuff away with the Watcher. So you still have that trickery to like get rid of key models and stuff. So I, I don't know. I'm also going to give it a Valor. The only real criticism I have is when you said uh, this was 600 points, right? Yeah, 600 points. Okay, 600 points. I think the only criticism I have, it's not a real strong criticism, but I think you said you included a cave troll. Uh, there's no cave troll on the list. It's a bat storm, oh. a marauder, a handful of black shields, the black shield shaman, and a six more goblins. Oh, I think you heard that because uh, he was facing a troll. Oh, sorry, I misheard. <laughs> okay, good. never mind. That throws out that criticism. I really, in that case, yeah, I was going to criticize that maybe you should have pushed more for the numbers. I think the mobility, obviously, was very important. I like the Black Shield Shaman, although, again, not having Fury. I feel yeah. like you're kind of pushing your luck a little bit. Uh, or in this case, pushing your bad luck <laughs> with uh, no Fury in the list. Yeah. But I've seen Shatter do some devastating things. Then again, the only time it was ever successfully cast on one of my heroes, it was a Dwarf Captain, and then he proceeded oh. to punch a handful of goblins to death with his bare hands, which was, well, it was laughable. No, I really like it. I think you obviously, with this next increment, solve the issue of mobility. Uh, the Bat Swarm is infinitely useful mm -hmm. uh, in a Moria list. I find it really amusing how you use the Watcher in this game to <laughs> grab the objective and then barge away back to your own half, moving further than the Watcher's own actual move value. No, I, I think it was a really solid upgrade in the end then. I've got to give it a Valor as well. Still a little bit worried about the numbers, but I mm -hmm. think for the additions that you made, it kind of makes up for it. And then your game three, uh, was it 750 points? Uh, 725. 725, okay. This is where finally I solve the Fury issue. I have a regular Shaman, a few more Goblins, and I included another Bat Swarm and another Marauder. Uh, and that made it 725 with all those inclusions. So the body count went from 37 to 43. I can be honest, this list I wasn't feeling too confident with because the jump from the first list to the second list had a substantial amount. 37 to 43 for me, it felt a bit lacking, but I think I really wanted a second Bat Swarm and I really pushed to fit the second Marauder. So again, again, the, th the theme of this whole tournament was go big or go home. And I think... With my luck, it didn't pay off. For the third game, I was hoping to play a good army, because I think my list was more geared towards that. And I played another Terror Causer, uh, Mordor, with eight or nine Morgul Knights against Joshua White. He had the Witch King on the Felbeast, the Mouth of Sauron. He had Durbers with 15 or 14 Goblins and 14 Moranans. And that mission was, I believe, the four objectives um, you get more points if you have the opponent's one, and the two middle ones only count for a single point. Breakthrough, right? Yeah, yeah, breakthrough. Right. And so going against him this time, I was happy I had the Fury Shaman, but I think he came up too late at the wrong opponent because he had the Witch King on Fellow Beast and the Mouth, so the Fury would be almost obsolete because he would get sapped. And for this game, my playstyle was, again, I think I gambled too hard on the dice rolls. Usually, the way I deployed was, if you look at the map from a top view, I made almost like an upside-down L on my objective and one of the middle objectives. I would castle up with the Watcher, make a wall, tank a bit, start whipping models, killing them, 
And then I usually would move one flank to make a Great Wall of China in the middle, holding three objectives and hoping I can hold them. But for this game, when I saw Josh's army, I think I psyched myself out. I was more worried about the Moranins hitting power because they were just supporting the goblins, and it's a lot of strength for. So instead of putting the Watcher in a position in the middle where he could assist both walls, I made a greedy play of putting him more focused towards the right side of the table. Because my thought was, in about two to three turns rolling, let's say, three average, I'd kill, let's say, nine Moranins. I'm confident I won it. I can now move back and assist or move towards his objective. But in those three turns when the Watcher came, I rolled ones for each shot. And so it didn't pay off because in those three turns, Josh managed his Morgul Knights came too hard. We managed to tank them for a bit, but the Moranins kept, as with the Strength 4, they kept killing the Goblins uh, too fast than I initially thought. We did come back after the first three turns where I believe Josh almost was broken, but by then I was broken. He had, at that point of the game, he only had one objective. I still owned mine. So there was a chance I could bring him back. And I made a very ballsy play where I decided, you know what, the Witch King is causing too much problems. He had charged into, I believe, my Shaman or Derbers. And I didn't want my King to die. So with the Watcher, he rolled again a 1. I was banking on a 3 and I whipped the Witch King with the Fell Beast into my combat. Because my thought was this, at this point, I need to kill your leader. He's caused too much headaches. And against the Watcher, I'm going to force you to burn might. You're going to strike up. You're going to do anything you need to save your Witch King. And so I thought that move was good until I rolled my four dice. I got a three high again. With his three attacks, he just rolled a four and won the fight. I had no might. And I think the moral of the story was Josh consistently rolled sixes. I consistently rolled threes. And against Moranin Orcs and Morgul Knights, my goblins couldn't take it. So if the Witch King had died, we both discussed though. A lot of my problems would be gone. I would deal with the Morgul Knights, but then the Watcher can now start whipping them. But since the Witch King didn't die and in fact won the fight, I had still had to deal with him for the next turn, and he had priority. Transfixed the Watcher. At this point, my Watcher had no will left because against the Mouth plus the Witch King, I can only do so much with the will I have on the Watcher. So a big weakness would be a, a heavy magic army is going to hurt the Watcher, but that's why I had Durbers. I probably called two heroic resolves to give the Watcher that extra dice. So I have two free will, and then start tapping into my own will. That was a good thought process. So that game was really good, uh, but dice game, I rolled so average. And after this game, in fact, I switched to my second pair of dice because I just couldn't roll anything above a four that game. But it was still a good game. It showed the weakness with the Watcher was when you play against a evil army who has casters like Nazgul, you're going to have to start burning that resolve to keep them. Because if the Watcher is transfixed, you're going to be hurting. Typically, Mordor players take Moranins or Strength 4 units. Your goblins are going to die. So you're going to have to use Durbers and resolve the hell out of the Watcher. It sounds crazy, but I like having a lot of will <laughs> to resist it. So that was the game for Game 3. Have you guys ever heard of resolve being described that way? Shocked and upset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good that it's actually useful. <laughs> we just need to find a way to actually use it. I mean, it, it makes sense when you're trying to add more dice to somebody who already has like resistance to magic rather than just giving a model a die. I, I think that makes more sense if you're stacking it up. Young, I don't know if you know, but Josh, he's actually from uh, where we are you know, on the oh, West he's Coast told here. Me, he's told me about your games together. Because so, I've played Josh at Nova, actually. 
So it was a grudge match. So Josh, when I went to the event, I thought I knew no one at the event. But actually, I knew half of them because I met them at Nova. But, you know, I, I just forgot what they look like. And Josh, I see a dude in the corner. And I'm like, this, this gentleman looks like someone I played, but I, I don't want to assume it. So I didn't say anything until I think Matthew Heyman talked about Mike with my Agmar army, with Birder, the Wild War Chieftain. And Josh is like, wait, I know someone at Nova. He 12-0'd me. Oh, it's Young Duke. So it was a grudge match. So I, I, okay, I'll be honest. I don't recall beating him that bad, but he described it as a horrible game against Agmar. It wasn't fun. So this game, it was redemption for him because he 10 owed me. He like slapped the hell out of my goblins' faces. So we're currently yeah. one for one now. Yeah, I, I think he definitely had some hard feelings because uh, we've all heard about that Agmar story. Okay. <laughs> Um, I guess I can go with my review of this list first. Uh, yeah, I, I do like the addition of the two bats and now two org marauders as well. And then, yeah, now you got the courage, so you're pretty well-rounded. You're not missing anything, but I think you said this yourself, too. At 725 points and 43 models for Moria is, is kind of scary. And I would also say that I would probably personally take a few bow goblins. I know they're not the best, but maybe just like sitting on objectives to take pot shots or shoot into combat. That's always useful. So, um, oh no, Richard, I, I agree 100%. In fact, I love goblin archers. I couldn't fit them because I needed them for dismounts for my marauders. I only have six right now painted. So, oh, okay. So, the model issues. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. But I think compared to your first two lists, this one is probably, in my opinion, slightly weaker. So mm -hmm. I'd probably give this one a fortitude. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to raise the alarm again on the model count. Mm -hmm. I think this time it becomes a little bit more of an issue. First and second time, I could understand needing to address other issues. This time, I, I think as useful as the second bat swarm is and another marauder, only having 40-something models in a 700-point list for Moria is quite low. So I think at that point, really, quantity becomes priority. And I think really there you should have just gone with as many standard goblins as you could fit into that new expansion of the list. So for that, I've got to give it a fortitude. I think this one is like it's kind of like a beefy version of your previous one i don't think 43 bodies is bad it really depends what kind of army you're facing i mean if you're facing like a heavy shooting one it might be concerning but i think you have enough threats in there that you might not have to outnumber your opponent in every game i think it also came down to match up in your particular game just facing two casters He's still got a whole bunch of terror, right? So if your shaman is neutralized, if you're if you don't have that fury, then his mortal knights would just rip up your goblins a bit. So I think I'll still give you a valor. I think you still have a decent amount of threats and hitting power. The numbers aren't as impressive as with your six hundred point list, but I still think that it's uh it still has potential. I'm gonna stay with the valor too. I, I think the numbers are fine considering what they're going to do, which is just block off and let the Watcher do work. So I think that's fine. And you still have, you know, double Batswarm and double Marauder, which is like, that's a lot of threat potential. Even if you just put like Batswarm Marauder into an enemy hero like that, that can kill an enemy hero quite easily, right? So you got a lot of threats. You got a lot of movement with that, a lot of sneaky things. Yeah, it's definitely still a valor for me. Okay. Game four, the final round. Uh, so game four, all we added, and I'm going to get, I think, more shit from Richard. Uh, another Black Shield. 
we had this is where the greedy side came. I took another Black Shield Shaman, another Marauder, four more goblins, and again I think this is where the body count came into slight issue. We're total bodies now 49. We're one shy from 50 at 828. So all we added was a couple more goblins, another marauder, and a black shield shaman. And so the game I played against was Thranduil Hall, which finally it was a good army with no terror bubble. Um, I felt pretty good going into it this time, and it was Fog of War. You had to choose a target to assassinate, one to kill, and one objective. My target to save, I made it the Watcher because I was thinking no one could hurt him. The target I wanted to assassinate was Tario because I knew she would want to get into combat, so realistically, there's a chance I could whip her and start munching on her with the Watcher. And I chose the farthest objective to the left side to conquer. Um, the way my opponent deployed, he focused more to the middle and onto the right side. He put Legolas, which surprised me, onto a, a terrain piece with three archers. So Legolas never moved the whole game, which really did shock me, because he was just a shooting platform. And when the game started, seeing Legolas deploy like that, and Thranduil in the middle with Tario and the palace guards, I called the Watcher in turn one immediately, and I rolled the three. We spent a turn moving up five inches from my battle line. The next turn I called a march. The Watcher with the march moved up seven. We stayed in the middle, and when it became turn three, he charged in, and the Watcher rolled above average to five. And I got all five palace guard I wanted to in combat. I won it, killed all five of them, and for the whole game, the Watcher Whoa, killed five palace guard. <laughs> so two, four, six. He killed twelve. I don't know how many were palace guard, but I killed twelve of them with the Watcher just from all that shooting. And then he killed Tario, and then he killed four or five rangers and then he dragged thranduil i think it's a combat we tanked it because he rolled pretty bad and then we trapped thranduil with derbers a bat swarm and all my goblins i could fit on that big elk base and we killed him uh, i think the game was 10 to 4 because i couldn't kill legolas i, I kind of knew that was one he wanted to save because he's sitting so far back but the watcher that game did what the watcher if you roll average could do he munched all the battle line Pretty much, I felt like I was fighting more of the Merkward Rangers than the Palace Guards, because the Watcher, I think, killed almost every Palace Guard he had in the game. That's savage. Yeah, so that was game four. It was actually, I think, a very quick game. 40 minutes long, I think. I think we were the first wow. table to finish. Wow. <laughs> because my opponent only had 37 bodies, and I had 49. And with the Watcher killing four to five per turn, it was a quick game. Now, you said he didn't have a terror uh, bubble. Did he? No, so he had, sorry, he had, he had Thranduil's um, terror, but I had the Fairy Shaman and nothing could sap it, so we just surrounded him with the goblins. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I, sh I should have mentioned the Fury. I called Fury. We walked up. I had my whole army in like a 12 inch circle around him, and we just met him in the middle. I okay. think my opponent didn't know what the Watcher did, and he overcommitted too hard because when all of his elves charged my main line, the Watcher shot all the shield guides, so all the spear supports were doing nothing. And the Watcher just munched every shield until it was time for the spear supports. And then when I killed all of them, I moved on to Tario and the Rangers. So, wow. Were you was, worried that Legolas from afar could use his deadly shot to slowly um, kill your Watcher? With the middle terrain piece, it was actually impeding all the shots, so you couldn't see me. It's pretty surprising for such a large model not being able to see him. Oh, uh, there was a really weird terrain piece in the middle. And I pretty much, until I knew I had the game in my hand, I tried to play around it as much as possible. 
to where when it didn't matter, I think my opponent knew he lost. He just started taking wild pot shots at my leader and random models. So, and I think he overcommitted Thranduil. He charged into the goblins and he only killed, I think, the whole game. Out of my 49, I lost 10 goblins, I think, and one of them was a captain. And I think he only had Legolas and five rangers at the end of the game out of his 37. And uh, sorry, did you say what you targeted for your shatters with your double black oh, shield shamans? Yeah. Um, this is where it comes in handy. I should have mentioned why Thrandall couldn't kill. I spent the whole game trying to shatter his weapon. And at one point, I tried shattering the palace guards, but I said, why? The watcher's going to kill them. So I stopped and then focused onto Thrandall. His, his swords, right? His double, yeah, double yeah. swords? Oh, man. So with, with six That's points dirty. of will, this is why in most 800-point Moria lists I take, when it comes to competitive, I kind of like two shatters because if you're Aragorn or anyone, it, you can try tanking six shatters, but one might get through and you have to burn might. And at that point, it's a win in my book. He's a 50-point little dude who's wasting your might and your will now. So. And if Thranduil uses his will to resist, then his aura of dismay gets turned off, right? Yeah, I think so. You need one yeah. will. Yeah. I you think need my one opponent will. was saving his will more than anything. I think after the second shatter, he just let it happen. I just surrounded him, and he was banking on the palace guards to kill off the goblins. But I think the Watcher kept smacking too many dudes. His plan fell apart in the middle. Yeah, I don't know about letting the shatter go through on Thranduil's <laughs> blades. <laughs> Wait, does Thranduil count as having two swords? Do you have two to get two, two shatters off then yeah. to break the bow? I think the first end shatter, you would just lose one attack, right? And the Blade Lord, Lord just, rule? But he still has the Blade Lord rule, right? He just goes down one attack? And does he keep his no, fight he's, set? No, he loses the Blade Lord rule, I think, because it's the second blade that gives him the Blade Lord rule, right? I think I that's need how to we see play. if they're passive or active. Mm. And then that means he would go down to fight six as well. But yeah, I think I just have one more question. Why didn't you take Groblog instead of the captain? Groblog gives you another yeah. hero with strike and defense, and he's also three might. I think there have been games where when I do the watcher list, I always kind of have one captain because I said for this game, if I'm cautious of my opponent and I don't like any spot on the table, I'll intentionally deploy him behind my goblins and I'll call two marches where we'll move up the table. He moved at that point 14 inches up the table in a decent uh, middle spot, and he'll just camp there. So I usually take the captains for the march. Now, if Grobog had it, I would take him. Uh, when it comes to the Watcher list, I always take at least one captain in march. If that one turn, I need the Watcher just to move up seven inches, don't shoot, and then next turn, he's in a good spot. So I think when it comes to my Watcher playstyle, I emphasize more of having at least one march potential over Grobog. I think I had Grobog in my initial 450, but because he was 10 more points, which was two goblins, I dropped him for the captain. Good point about March. I just wasn't sure. Since you had your other um, mobile models, I just wasn't sure how important that March was. But mm -hmm. it seems like it's something that you really need to have whenever you play the Watcher. Yeah. And I should mention this list, the three War Marauders were also MVPs. They flanked around and they were charged at least one Palace Guard each and four dicing onto one model. You're probably going to kill them. So the Marauders cause a lot of headaches to the player too because they do cause terror. They move 10. They can still shoot. And with three of them joining in a small pack, he just couldn't stop that many coming around. Did your opponent put Legolas on a horse? No, he was unmounted. What? what? Yeah, so he he just camped on top shooting arrow after arrow. He, he did, I mean, he killed a few goblins, but I was confused by also the strategy that occurred with the bow shots. Yeah, it kind of threw me off too uh, when I saw it. 
I guess I'm also lucky when he shot my Marauders, you have to randomize, you know, the ward and then the riders, and I have three riders per Marauder. So each time he shot um, with his regular rangers, they only killed like a bow goblin occasionally or like the middle bow goblin. So my Marauders are still cav the whole game. They were reduced, like one had only one shield goblin left on it, but I was lucky he wasn't actually hitting the warg itself. Yeah, I would think that it would be a prime target for Legolas's 2-plus on the warg. But I've played against a player who's done that strategy before where put a leg loss on top of a terrain piece. I mean, I think it kind of makes sense in the sense of Fog of War, he gets to kind of save his VP, so mm-hmm. I can kind of understand that. But personally, I would probably have brought him into combat as well because I just don't feel like leg loss just shooting the whole game can make back his points value. That might be the old, if I don't know what I'm doing, there's no way you know what I'm doing, therefore I win kind of thing. <laughs> Is that from the Art of War? Yeah, for sure. Sun Tzu. <laughs> I'm going to go with a Hero of Legend on this one, just on this list, because I think your numbers are, I don't know, I, I just think it's really well-rounded. The two Black Shield Shamans, there's so much utility there, like you said. Your might is a bit low, but you know, with the Watcher strategy, you don't really need to call that many heroic moves. Not as much as the average army. And uh, yeah, the rest of the composition we've talked about before, it's it's pretty solid. It has it has all the tools you need to pull off your tricks. So yeah, I think this one deserves a maximum rating. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd also go Legend. I mean, the only thing that would be really nice in this list is a banner, but you can't get that in Mario, so <laughs> whatever. Also, for the regular listeners, the reason I'm not criticizing the lack of bows is because the Watcher has a lot of crazy shots, and I think that's good enough for this kind of a list. Just just have to say that. But uh, yeah, I'd go with Legend for this one, too. So I really like all the tricks available in this list. I think the only thing for me is numbers are still a little shy of the optimum at over 800 points. It's I would like to see in the mid-50s. And I think you could make that possible if we trade in some black shields <laughs> for some normal goblins. <laughs> but otherwise, great list. Uh, I think I think a pretty strong Valor from me. I'm going to give it a Valor too. The number count worries me, but one of the heroes we do like, we've talked about in previous episodes, is the Black Shield Shaman. It reminds me a little bit of last edition's double storm caller lists. Just being able to throw that many shatters at big heroes, eventually you're going to do something. Yeah, It really puts the pressure on your opponent, so I do like that. Though I also kind of wonder, just because it is a dice game, if those points would be better utilized to fill a different gap somewhere else in the list. But ultimately, the only thing that I see that I really worry about is the numbers. I'm with Richard on this one. For the cost of the Black Shields at eight points base, you really could beef out the list with more goblins instead. Uh, That's what I would opt for. But I still think it's a solid Valor. Oh, for sure. The Black Shields, we'll get to that. But I have a very special spot in my heart for the, uh, the Black Shield profile. And on a side note, I told Charles about this. I made an 800 point joke list where you take eight Shatter Shamans, filled Warbands of Goblins with three Bat Swarms and three Marauders, it's like about 53 or 52 bodies, but you have 8 Shatters or 8 Tremors return. So if you hate someone real bad, play that <laughs> army, shatter all their characters and their warriors, they'll all be unarmed, and you laugh as a whole army has a minus 1 to hit and minus 1 to wound. Oh god. Oh god. 
fake. Can we ally in a shade as well? Top tier <laughs> memery. It's, you don't even need a shade at that point. That's just that's meaner than a shade. It's mean, meaner than a sh- work anymore. Aha. Bear whites. Bear whites. Because I think the eight shatterless, it's a joke, but I guess against some armies, you actually might just make them so upset. They might just concede the game by turn like three. Yeah, maybe like versing the breaking of the fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's break all their Galadriel's gifts. <laughs> they do have fortify now, though. So honestly, that's like the most petty thing I could think of is breaking like Pippin's Northern dagger. <laughs> it's not even just like screw blade. you. You don't get a weapon. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's not Elven Blade. I've told Charles about this, but I like Shattered too. Is some games, if let's say Aragorn's on an armored horse and I have no goblin archers, I'll channel the Shatter and try to blow up the horse's armor so it might die from the strength six hit so he'll be unmounted. It happened like twice only, but it's like very rare occasions I'll ever do that. For a minute, well, you were going to say you were trying to shatter the horse. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. If you like target Anduril. Well, yeah, the horse would take a strength six hit too because the wording says the whole model takes a strength six hit. Oh, really? So you could try to oh. dismount him that way. So the rider oh, and the mount would take a strength six hit. Oh, I've been playing. I've been trying to shatter the horses the whole time and just just kill the horse. Big brain time. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you could go for the horse's armor too. But why not just go for uh, yeah, for go the, for the yeah, magical sword for sure for sure. Um. All right. So. That was Young's review of the Escalation Tournament and each of his four lists. Let's move on to our next segment, which is uh, Trash Profiles. So our open topic today will be trash profiles. We've pre-selected a few to talk about, our experience playing with and against them, and maybe some discussion on ways to use them competitively in an army. So we have two runners up today, and our first runner up for top trash profile is the Osgiliath veteran from the Minas Tirith list. So I guess these aren't quite trash units, they're like more recyclable ones. So, <laughs> yeah, so the Osgiliath veteran profile, it's essentially a warrior that is similar to a warrior Minas Tirith. So the difference is they cost one more point base. They have one more courage than a warrior Minas Tirith, but in exchange, they don't have the shield wall rule. And their special rule allows them to gain one fight value if they're within six inches of either Bormir or Faramir. We don't really see this one a lot in the competitive scene. I think mostly because there are so many ways to get fight 4 and fight 5 in Minas Tirith. And also losing that shield wall. I don't know. It's it's not a great trade for the plus 1 courage. Has anyone had any, like, found any success in using them? Like, even last edition, because I don't think their rules changed. Well, maybe not success, but I kind of want to say some more downsides. You compared them to the Warriors of Minas Tirith, which is, I guess, an easy comparison. But, I mean, if you also compare it to the Guard of the Fountain Court, there's not much reason to take the Osgiliath Vet. Because if you take the shield on the Osgiliath Vet, then technically the Guard of the Fountain Court is just one more defense. And then he automatically gets the plus one fight. It's not conditional. And you also get the spear. 
Um, and bodyguard. And bodyguard, right? So in addition, the Fountain Gore Guard can up, go up to Defense 7. So there's just not much point, I think, if you want to take a more elite version of the Warriors of Minas Tirith. This is more of a function of like the list they're in, though. Because if they were in another list, I think they could probably do pretty well. But just because they're in Minas Tirith that has those awesome elite options, you don't really want to go halfway in terms of points cost and not really get all those benefits. You'd rather just pay the extra two points to get the Citadel Guard. That being said, I want to defend them a little bit. Because if you do keep them in a pure list next to Boromir with the banner, they go up to fight five and courage five, which is basically just like a cheap elf. That's pretty good. Yeah, but they're not that cheap if you compare them to like Citadel Guard, which has the bodyguard. Citadel Guard would also be fight five. I think the synergy with Formir and Vermeer, it's designed to make like a thematic Osgiliath defense list. I just wish that when Gondor at War came out, there was a legion for this because it seems like it's perfect. The models are a little bit underpowered and then with a legion, a couple special rules that could be really cool. But yeah, that's not the case. Yeah, I think this is like what Ian mentioned. For the points, essentially, you've just got profiles that do the job better for a couple of points less. They're not terrible, but again, if you want that fight five, ultimately the thing that gets you the fight five in the list would be Boromir's banner, because just about anything else can get you there. The Rangers would be fight five, Citadel Guard, Guard of the Fountain Court. Really, I just don't see a place for them in a standard uh, Minas Tirith list. I agree with Ian's thought for the uh, the cheap fight five. Because my friend um, Jerry, who went to the event, he actually was thinking of doing that. But besides that, at least the Black Shield has some uses. Uh, this guy, I say no use for an Osgiliath veteran, in my humble opinion. So started off with a defense and then immediately used it to boost the Black Shields while knocking Osgiliath veterans at the same time. Just fuel for the fire. Spoilers, one of the profiles we're talking about is the Black Shield. Building that all episode long, that's not even a spoiler at this point. <laughs> I think yeah. the thing that's unfortunate, and a lot of people make the point that they're Osgiliath veterans, but they've forgotten how to shield wall. But I feel like that's more of a game mechanic thing, because if they did have shield wall and they were the same points, you'd basically only end up taking them instead of the Ministry of Warriors. No, I think that would be okay, because the rule is pretty conditional on heavy Boromir and Faramir on the list. So if you're building a Minas Tirith list without Boromir and Faramir, which is pretty common as well, then you would take the normal Minas Tirith. So I think that would be a good call. If they got Shield Wall, they would go up one more point, though, right? Because if they got Shield Wall, then that's Shield Wall, a conditional fight, and one more Courage for one point. That'd be a little too good, right? What if they drop down one point like they are now, but then the radius for the Boromir Farmer thing is only three inches? So they lose Shield Wall, they gain a Courage, and they have the Loyal to the Captain special rule, and they're the same points. But the Loyal to the Captain is only three instead of six. Yeah, I could see that working. Yeah. You'd take a few of them, I guess. And it would just be a little bit like um, Thranduil's Palace Guard. Yeah, it'd be a nice little like, bodyguard unit, like the Loyal Troops surround their Captains. I think okay. with all the, the possible options and the way this discussion could go, I think maybe what I'll do for you, Ian, to keep the discussion moving, is I'm going to write down J. Claire's email on the little sticky note, and I'll just hand it to you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Okay, the next runner-up is the Black Guard of Baradur from the Mordor list. And so this is an Don't Urukai. Get me started. <laughs> you can go first, Alex. This is a Mordor Urukai profile, 12 points a model. I mean, I see them from time to time in a list. I don't see them as very good for their points. But Alex, why don't I let you take over? I would just never take these. I honestly, it's kind of like the Osgiliath veterans of Mordor in the sense that 
They are just buried under options that do the same thing, but better for fewer points. You know, taking a standard troop in Mordor that costs 12 points is just, it's too much. I can't see a place for them in a list where I'm also trying to get numbers. They also don't fit the standard bonuses that Mordor tends to get. There's supposed to be an orc heavy list, but Barador or um, Blackguard do not get those bonuses because they have the Urukai keyword. They are strength five, but strength five does not make a difference by comparison to strength four when you're striking against defense six troops, which I think is the uh, standard in most armies. Strength five, it's not very impressive because any Moran and Orc can just uh, piercing strike and get the same strength if they really wanted to. They're only courage three, so it's not like you're getting a a very high courage uh, troop there. And then fight four. What I think a lot of people take them for is the Fight 4, but for three points less, I can get Fight 4 with a Black Numenorian. The numbers don't add up for me in the list that it's in. You try and go Orc Heavy, lots of numbers, and the Black Guard just stop you from doing that. You know, they're still Defense 6, so they're no better defensively than a Moran Orc with a shield. So I don't see the point. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm not going to repeat everything you said. I agree. He's just not cost efficient. But the only thing I'll add is that generally, if you're going to play a mortar list, you want to utilize the army bonus. So you definitely want to go with the strategy of outnumbering the opponents and just 12 points for a normal infantry dude at defense six. It's just not really worth it. So, yeah. It kind of comes down to these guys just being one point overcosted if you like look, break down their profile. And also the fact that you're going to want to take a lot of them in a list, in like a Mordor list, because otherwise you're just going to get shot out or targeted down really quickly. Um, and then when you do that, you stop getting the benefits, because they're going to have to be a front line, you stop getting the benefits of like shamans in your Fury, because it'll only affect orcs. I think there is a way to run them still, but it'd probably be allying with Urukai, and I don't know what that would look like or if it would be worth it. But I have seen lists online where people just spam these out and take like 20 of them. And it does look scary. So I think you guys are being a little harsh because there still is a way to run them and make them pretty effective. But yeah, they're, they're not great for the points. I think the only thing I know about the Blackguard locally, people said if you're going to run Blackguard, you need the Shadow Lord for his um, six up like blinding light pretty much for them. So they won't die to like petty bowfire to justify their points so they can survive walking across the table. But that then forces you to play with the Shadow Lord and play a different play style. It's like a 140-point tax just to take the Black Guard, then. Yeah, it definitely doesn't synergize with uh, a regular Mordor playing style. I think, like these guys said, if you want to make it viable, it's it's got to be some kind of cheesy list. I know um, a couple of local players that like to do uh, cheesy elite Mordor, and I think they can work. It's just you have to kind of have a plan to go down that path where you just spam them and just go a low model count Mordor kind of strategy, maybe hero heavy as well. But low model count immediately uh, goes against what Mordor is supposed to be good at. It stops you from getting the army bonus. Yeah, so in in that way you would probably break the alliance, break the army bonus, and ally in something like convenient. And just at at that point, it wouldn't be a Mordor list. It would just be some kind of cheese. Yeah, I think something like, like you said, the Shadow Lord with 10 to 15 of these guys allied into an Isengard list would be pretty solid. I mean, for the Blackguard... Maybe running like in a mortar army 800 points, running like 
four. It's kind of expensive, but it's four dudes maybe hanging about objective because at least no one wants to send a single warrior to fight a black guard for an objective. They'll send more than that. So like at best, you run three to four just to hold an objective because it looks kind of threatening and they could actually pack a small punch. But then again, like no more than that. The problem that I see with that is that I have run lists in, well, last edition. I would run lists and you take four, maybe up to six, and they just get picked off way too quickly. They're always first priority. So when your opponent goes into a shoot phase, first thing he says is, I'm rolling these dice, priority is the black guard. They go down half the time before they get into combat. It essentially becomes like 24, 48 points that you've just kind of washed away. Spending 120, 130 points, the Shadow Lord, in order to make a unit viable, is an automatic non-starter for me. You could get really sneaky and take them to absorb bowfire from something else you don't want to get shot. Yeah, but then you just take Moranins with shield. That's listception. Like it's like, yeah, it's, it's straight it's up. A list like with, your opponent. It's a like, list within like, a oh, list. Look at these nice 12-point models. I'm sure you want to shoot at them, don't you? And then they go, oh, nice, 12-point models. I want to shoot them. You know, maybe? Meanwhile, the ward riders are sneaking up behind them completely unnoticed because they're too mesmerized by the black guard. Yes, <laughs> I like it. I, I see a future for this. I'll come back to you on this one in the next episode. Okay, so those were our two runner-ups. And then we have three that are trash units, in our opinion. So the first one being the Mirkwood Rangers from Falls of Thranduilus. Yeah. This one's controversial. Why do they cost 14 points? I'll let, Ian, I'll let Ian go with this one. That's all I got. Like, I, I just like, why, 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 Like, ugh. it's like, it's the same thing as the Sentinels. Like, for some reason, they decided to drop the cost for Ellen Cloaks when the new edition dropped. And then everybody else's Elven Cloaks got reduced in points because the rules changed, except the Sentinels and these guys. And I just, like, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, their daggers are now Elven made, but I don't think that's worth four points. Yeah, and uh, they're the only Elves in the list that don't benefit from Thranduil's three-inch death bubble. So that's disappointing. It seems like you're paying points, like a tax, for the fact that they don't count towards your bow limit. So you can go above it if you want to take a couple of them to go over the 33%. But I don't know if it's worth the points you're paying for. Their defense is so low, and you're going to just probably be hiding them in terrain to take advantage of the Elven Cloaks. But at 14 points apiece, I don't know how I would use these competitively. Maybe in a list without Thranduil at like low points, like an all-ranger or ranger-heavy list. I think the only way to use them is to, like, like you said, take a few of them to boost your bow limit above 33% to get like maybe around 50%. So then for sure you're winning the shooting war. And then also, like you said, just sitting back on objectives because you're always going to have guys needing to sit on back on objectives. So they might as well have a cloak. Just a little over cost. Like most games, I would much rather have a palace card. I think the extra point cost just for an extra few re-up bow shots really doesn't make a lot of sense. The low defense, the lacking the ability to play into Thranduil special rules, it's a lot of cost for not very much benefit. So I just want to say this is basically the list that people who wanted to play the Rangers of Hithilian Legendary Legion before the Legion was available would play this <laughs> list. But then now that that Legion is available, there's no point in playing this. One thing that hasn't been mentioned is their Knife Fighter special rule where they can go up to multiple attacks. But um, from my experience, mo most of the time when people see that rule, they'll just not trap the ranger. They'll just go one-on-ones. 
and then just cut them down because they're only defense three. It's still at 14 points for a defense three one wound model. Like the knife spiders rule is nice and it's handy. It's really good on heroes, but on troops, it's like half a point. It's worth half a point yeah. if they're. You only have the two attacks if you win the priority and then charge into two models. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If, if the opponent wins priority, they know what they're doing. They're just going to charge one guy into him, put a spear support behind, and they'll probably win and kill. And then you're down a 14-point model. Just like that. Easy peasy. Yeah. The next profile we'll be going over is the Feral Urukai. <laughs> this was really popular last edition. Locally, I think, internationally, you saw them spammed a lot because they were like the cheaper version of the Berserker. And uh, they took quite a big hit with this new edition. They're now defense four. I'm just, I just get so upset looking at this profile now. Because I remember when these models went out of production, and they were so sought after. And yeah, there was a little bit of a meta for them locally. You put them with Berserkers and Crossbows in a list, and that was pretty much it. 500 points. You just Berserkers, Feral Urkai, Crossbows. And they were fantastic. But now, only being Defense 4 in close combat, and only Defense 5 against shooting. Defense 5 against shooting is not so bad, but in close combat, they're just really soft now. They're... Where do you get the Defense 5 in combat? I think that's the normal Berserker rule. No, no, no. They're Defense 5 against no, um, no, they're shooting. Not. No, they're not. They get the 6 plus save, the same as the Berserker. They don't have bonus defense against shooting. Oh, you're right. They don't have that against shooting. That's only the Berserkers that have that from 5 yeah. to 6. You're right. So they're oh. just soft all the way around. No, yeah, then they're just soft all the way around. Oh. Oh, it's so much worse. They're basically a hunter orc with better courage, fight four, and the six plus save for five points. Yeah. Compared to a berserker, they're only two points cheaper. They lose a defense. They lose two courage. They lose the extra bonus defense against uh, shooting. So like 1.5 defense, basically. And then they don't get the hand and a half sword. So that's a lot for two points. This should really be more like 10 points almost. No, maybe like 12, we'll consider. 12. Or 11. 11. The one way I can think of running them is if you want like a cheap two attack model to throw into your battle line, like sort of like Mogul Stalkers, a really niche unit where you just take like two or three of them and you can like tag them with a hero for that extra dice. Um, but I think Berserkers still just, especially them being on the same page in the rulebook, is just like you look up and then you look down and you're like, why? Why take the second one? Maybe if they could be upgraded to Marauders from Mahur, then they'd be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. I'll say one thing in defense of these guys. They have two swords. So if you want to shatter them, then you got to do it twice. <laughs> I, I actually like the Feral Earth guys. I mean, let, if you're, let's say you're really like, you're watching every single point, two points could add up. Let's say hypothetically, you could fit two Feral Earth or one Berserker. You could just go to two Feral Earth and just hide them behind the lines a bit. I understand Berserkers are way better, but like, I wouldn't say he's shit looking at stats. Like, I guess coming from Moria, this stat line is beautiful, by the way. Like, two attacks, that's beautiful. Courage five, <laughs> unheard of. Fight four, my god. This stat line, I think it's decent. <laughs> I don't think it's like, compared to the, compared to the other lists we had, like the Osculius veterans or the Black Guard, I could maybe see people playing more of these guys. Like Charles said, Morgul Stalkers. I've seen people run them a few times too, so like they're like Urukai Morgul stalkers who don't have stock unseen, but but they got two swords like Richard just said. So you know, one or two points adds up. I agree, but at the same time, that concept works a lot better in a Moria list or a Mordor list, something where the standard troop is cheaper. In Isengard specifically, standard Urukai warrior with either a shield or a pike or ten points. So it takes a lot for that to add up. 
I think part of this is that in the old edition, the Berserker list, like you said, with the Berserkers, Ferals, and Crossbows was just like absolutely amazing, like top tier. And then in this edition, it's kind of dropped down to like moderate. I think a lot of people saw that and just like got super upset. They're like, oh, it's not amazing anymore. Ah, it's trash. But it's still a good list. There's still good profiles, right? They're just not amazing like they used to. And people are just still freaking out about it. But it's like, nah, they're still good. They're just not ridiculous. Yeah, you could still run similar kind of lists, just not as efficient with ferals. You probably just go more berserker heavy. I mean, if you yeah. want to scare your opponents at the show, you have no fear. Just like spam 15 of them. Your opponent won't know what you're thinking. You throw them on the table, and you hope to God that confuses them enough where you win the game. Like, if you see 15, what are you going to do? Like, is this guy, like, you know, is he okay? Is he thinking about the game? And just run off the table. What is he going to do to you? He's confused. You're also confused. <laughs> okay, so we'll just get to the profile that uh, Young has been waiting for. The Moria Black Shield. And we know this is one of your favorites. And just seeing so many people say that they're garbage, you probably have a lot to say. So. Okay, so I think the biggest misconception, because I didn't play last edition, but I read all about them with the old books. I think too many people are looking at the Black Shield as like the Gundabad stat line they used to be, because there were no Gundabads back then until they made them. Uh, I think the Black Shields have a, a pretty decent spot within Moria. So I know they are 8 points. That is a, a hefty point cost when compared to the Goblins. But they do bring the extra defense, extra courage, and hatred to Worf. And I guess on the surface, it looks pretty pitiful. Like, you're paying 8 points, essentially just for plus 1 defense and plus 1 courage. But for the courage, I feel like even though strength 4 does seem prevalent, a lot of good armies, I feel like, are still strength 3. And when you're going to an event and you see the strength 3, there have been times where that D6 does form a quote-unquote castle or a battle line that can tank. So I always run 5 to 8 of them because I do like having the extra defense. I may sound crazy, I do feel safer in my little goblin castle. Because I feel like I can tank those pitiful strength 3 bows or the strength 3 attacks. And then for the Courage, as you guys know from the event, Courage is a bane to us. There have been many games with a drum, their Courage 4, back down to 3, this Harbinger. Getting a 7 is pretty average. And there have been games where I've been broken, I had a lonely black shell on objective. At Courage 3 or 4, he'll stay and oh, I have the objective now. And then with Hatred Dwarf, I feel like at events, you'll at least see... I expect there to be Iron Hills, Kaza Doom, or Battle of Five Armies. And I can't tell you how many times it goes from rolling a 6x4 or a straight 6 down to a 5 or a 5x3. It feels way better. And like your opponent is a bit taken aback when their expensive Goat Rider or their Iron Hill Warrior dies to a, a dinky Black Shield who you paid 8 points for. And I do understand the point cost. I feel like for every special rule they got, it's like a point. But in a, a Moria army where you're averaging, let's say, 50 plus bodies, I'm not saying spam 20 Black Shields. That's just dumb. I think having 8 at most at 800 is a good amount where they're spread out throughout the army to provide small little pockets of defense and potential kill against dwarves. And I guess another reason to take them, if you're taking the Black Shield drummers, you're going to need a few in case the guy dies to pick up the drumsticks or the drum itself. So that's my only true defense on them. I would never give them spears. That's just dumb because a spear does nothing for the black shield. It just wastes the point. But I do see value in the little black shields. Only I black shields can pick up the black shield drum? Uh, only black shields can pick it up. Okay. I guess to comment on what you were saying about having a high defense model 
they're almost like double the points of Ammonia Goblin. Wouldn't you say that if you just took two goblins instead of one Black Shield, that it would also be kind of the same kind of idea? Uh, I guess having another body, it'll make up for it. I guess it's just my mentality. I like having an elf wound my goblin on a six rather than a five. Um, it just feels like it's harder for them to actually earn that kill. And again, with like five black shields is 40 points. That's equivalent to eight goblins, so it's three extra bodies. So I feel like having the five to eight is a small enough commitment where in a warrior army, it's not hurting you too much unless you're taking the Balrog or Watcher. If you're taking like a cave troll regular goblin spam list, I think five to eight shouldn't hurt your pocket for points. And if it does, drop them and don't take the black shield drummers. But I do like having a few. I will say the big positive for this profile is picking up the black shield drum because looking at the two, it just seems that black shield drummers are much better than the, the normal drum because the fact that you can just move around with them with no penalty, it All seems right. a lot more flexible. It's only 12 inches, the normal one's 18. I think that's the only difference. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. It is a smaller drum size, but let's be honest, it, it's like 12 inches on both sides, it's still 24. It should theoretically cover the bulk of the table. If you want the regular drums, go for it, but that seems excessive for like 36 inches of the table. That must be one long battle line uh, to reach the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I think sure. I also want to mention just generally how conditional I find the Hatred of Dwarf uh, special rule. If you go to a five-game tournament to maybe play two games against dwarves, if you're lucky, it's a lot of points to pay for a rule that you really aren't going to use every game. You're probably not even going to use it half the games you play. So I think ultimately it's just it's counterproductive to Moria as a whole when you're looking at needing high number of models overall. I do see the point of taking them for the drummer because you will need someone to pick up the drumsticks to keep playing. But I think you're better off splitting that cost between more Moria goblins, goblin prowlers to make the most out of uh, trap models traps win games per that thousand times to add on to alex's point about the trapping too similar to the mordor army bonus the uh, moria army bonus obviously takes advantage of numbers right to get that extra fight so it's yeah like i do like the d6 to counter the shooting but if you kind of think of it like having extra goblins is like extra wounds it's kind of like extra tankiness but i don't know you make a good argument so I'm being swayed a little. Also, just having all the extra goblins, like when you do the math on the scale of the number of goblins that you're going to have in most Moria lists, I also see it as having eventually, when you do it 10, 20, 30 times, the number of dice that you include in fights. Because if you eventually are getting, you know, I don't know, if you have five or five to six to seven black shields where you have 10 standard goblin warriors, that's three more dice in the combat. That's an extra support, an extra die in your combat with the drum. You, know, you get the reroll and you get four dice to wound if you've got the traps going. Eventually, all of that stacks, and I think the Black Shields really hinders that ability, and I think it's really counterproductive to what Moria's usually all about. So it's kind of dependent on your local meta. Like, if you know you're going to run into dwarves, like, once in, say, a three-game tournament, it's probably worth it to have them. But I think overall, the benefit is just, like, if you want a D6 unit, and it really benefits your playstyle, like it would in a Watcher list, having something stronger just to block off and hold that line while the Watcher just picks off troops. Then I could see a use, but that's more of a personal preference kind of thing. I don't think I would use them that much. 
but I see the appeal in like those kind of certain situations. I will say, given your specific lists with the Watcher playstyle that you use for it, there's obviously the benefit. I think in that style, it works. Partway through this episode, I essentially, with the last list that you mentioned for that tournament, you were essentially playing a list that was the Watcher in the Water and the Drums in the Deep Experience. If it had a band name, they're worth it there. If they were Fight 3, I would be sold. I would take some. Because um, with Grolblog and Army Bonus, you can take them up to Fight 5, and it'd be, it'd be kind of like the Prowler. Just have a couple specialist models in your battle line. Being only Fight 2, um, they don't seem that different compared to throwing in a Moria Goblin. You've obviously um, had a lot of success with them, so I don't know. Maybe they're not completely useless. Maybe uh, maybe I need to try some. I have the models. I just just whenever I see their profile, I get let down. <laughs> Y'all, y'all bring valid points. I'm just a stubborn little Asian boy who loves them. Because there are some games, if I don't do the Watcher, I look at my points, I'm like, I have eight black shields. That's a lot of goblins. Just because I have the models, I'm like, I will swallow that pill and put them on the table. But y'all bring valid points. I guess if you're doing a goblin spam army, having the body count to like max, let's say, goblin town, there's no real reason to take them. If you're taking, I feel like, a more quote-unquote elite warrior army, maybe, because I like the little D6, and I guess it does go to all of your preferences, I guess, at the end of the day. I guess it, it does make sense having the extra goblin occasionally to count as two wounds, as Richard said. And it is true, I guess, if you do run into an event and there's not a single dwarf player, you look at your black child like, okay, you're a, a more expensive goblin. You can't do anything else but, you know, tank that strength three bow shot occasionally. So I, I, it's all valid points. I guess if they were Fight 3, I'd definitely see more people taking them. But I think the Prowlers, because they're Fight 3, would still trump a Black Shield at Fight 3 because they have Backstabbers and the two-handing. Um, it kind of mitigates that. So the only way, I think, to make a Black Shield viable, it sounds crazy, but maybe boost their strength to 4, which I know that was an issue last edition. But if a Black Shield is Fight 3 at 8 points, I think personally, I would still take the Prowler because he has the two-hand and the backstabbers and there have been so many games where you piercing strike you're wounding on threes two dicing you're gonna kill any warrior you trapped with a prowler that black shield even at fight three he's still strength three only he'll only ever be strength three and he'll need sixes to kill uh, whoever he trapped might be just to make him seven points and leave it alone i don't know I don't want to go too off topic, but the Black Shield Captain having always to go oh, two handed. I love what, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry. I love Black Shield Captain. What, what's up with that? <laughs> so the Black Shield Captain, I think, is worth the five points because yes, the hatred is a gimmicky thing, but having the extra plus one to wound, it does suck. He has to two hand, but like as Alex and everyone said, you have so many goblins, you have that spear support in the back. You just need that six to probably win it. They have the games where minus no dwarf player. That plus one to wound is quite nice to have when you trap a model, anyways, with a black chill captain. Um, it does suck. He's a minus one. It really does suck. But you have that dinky little spear support behind you to assist you in that little fight. And he's only five but, points more expensive, so I don't mind too much. Yeah, if you want a bit of extra hitting power and still have like bringing in the march, he's still handy. And you know, when you do come up against dwarves, uh, an like infantry-sized model with plus two to wound against dwarves is <laughs> that's nasty. You, you kill the goat riders on threes, by the way, with the black shield captain if he wins the fight. Yeah, gross. Well, he's only five points more than a than the Moria captain, and he has the same defense, so not not terrible, I guess. He brings a higher courage too, if you really wanted that to stay on the field. Right. Okay. Oh yeah, he's not a bad profile, I guess, compared to the Moria captain. Yeah, courage four on a goblin isn't. Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah. It's the same as uh, the birds. It's the same as a dragon. Dragons four. Yeah. 
Okay, I think that just about wraps up this episode where we discuss the watcher in the water and also how to use trash profiles competitively. Thank you, Young, for coming on to this episode and discussing uh, some of your favorite models from the game and also sharing your tournament experience. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West. <laughs>